If you haven't noticed by now, the readings in the lectionary that we hear on Sunday are uh, laid out in a particular order so that we have a continuous reading of the gospel from one Sunday to, some, from one Sunday to the next, from either Matthew, Mark, or Luke. So today we pick up exactly where we finished last week's gospel, beginning at the 17th verse of the 10th chapter of St. Mark. Now the first reading every Sunday is meant to be a sort of commentary or a prelude on the gospel, which means that the first reading is a key for us to understand how the church wants us to understand the gospel. So this brief passage we have in the first reading from the Wisdom of Solomon is the lens the church is offering us this afternoon to understand our Lord's teaching in the gospel. I prayed, says Solomon, and prudence was given to me. I pleaded, and the spirit of wisdom came to me. Now this line is meant to impact us. We can think of Solomon pleading in prayer, on his knees, begging the Lord for a particular grace. Maybe we have been in that place before, disturbed by the things around us in the world, worried about our future or our family, regretting what we've done in the past, and begging the Lord to fix it. But Solomon is letting us hear his thoughts. What is he praying for? He's not praying for healing. He's not praying out of worry. He's asking for wisdom. And wisdom, understood in the sense of the Bible, is the knowledge of God and the prudence to live according to the law of God. It's more than just cleverness or the ability to understand how to get out of some difficult situation. You know, usually when we think about Solomon, we think about how he handled that conflict between the two mothers who were fighting over which one had the baby. Maybe you remember that story from Scripture. But that's not really wisdom the way the sacred authors understand it. Every time the church celebrates the feast of a virgin saint, for instance, we hear the antiphon at Mass, Blessed is the wise and prudent virgin who awaits with lighted lamp to meet the Lord. So Solomon is on his knees in desperation, begging the Lord for what it would take to be faithful. Essentially, he's begging to be saved, for the grace to be saved. And we know that Solomon wasn't always a good person, right? He had several wives, pagan wives, and he offered worship to the idols that they put up in Jerusalem. But in this moment, Solomon is giving a genuine request uh, to be good, to be holy. So with that in our mind, Solomon begging for holiness, we can think about the young man in the gospel this afternoon. St. Mark tells us, as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this man is really in the same position as Solomon. The young man is placing himself in a place of weakness. He's begging the Lord for a particular grace, and that grace is essentially the same as Solomon's. He's asking for wisdom. He wants to know what he has to do to be holy. 
And think about, again, this, this comes right after the reading we heard last Sunday. Maybe you remember that last Sunday Christ was being questioned about marriage and divorce by the Pharisees. And St. Mark was deliberate then to tell us that the Pharisees were testing the Lord. We don't hear that about the young man in the gospel today. And so we're not meant to see him in a bad light. He's a good man. He wants to be holy. He's perhaps like many of you here this afternoon. You're not here because you want to put God to the test, but because you also want to have eternal life. And you want to know what it will take to go to heaven, to be holy. So let's not discredit this man for what follows afterwards. Our Lord tells him, you know the commandments. And he goes on to list some of the commandments. And then our young man responds saying that he's kept all of those commandments all his life. So what more should he do? And it's an excellent question. The young man understands that it isn't enough to simply follow the rules, right? More is necessary to be holy, but but what else? That's what he's asking. And St. Mark tells us that Jesus will hear this response from the young man, and he loves him for it. I think that's a beautiful line. Christ loves the young man, and he loves that he's seeking eternal life in a deliberate manner. He loves all of you for being here because you are here out of a love of God, out of a desire to be with him forever. And so because of this love, Christ gives him the truth, right? Love and truth always go together. You are lacking in one thing, says the Lord. Go, sell what you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. St. Mark continues, At that statement his face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, and this is really my point. This story is not about wealthy people. That's not really what this story is about. If it was, I suppose that you and me and probably most people in this room could all just go home, right? The gospel wouldn't apply to us. But that's not what it's about, right? The Lord is telling the young man, and he's telling all of us, that if we wish to be holy, we have to let go of everything else in life and give of ourselves generously to God. It's not just the bad things, right? Not just the big sins. Holiness means changing our heart. St. Maria, who we celebrated the anniversary of his canonization this past week, he writes in one of his homilies that anytime we find ourselves anxious about the future or about the world, it's almost certainly because we put some obstacle between us and God. What are the obstacles that we're placing between us and God? It could be all kinds of things, right? It could be our small sins. It could be our vices, our habits of sin. But it could also be good things. It could be things like our job, our family, our country, our talents. God is asking us to totally give up everything that holds us down to the world so that the one thing we desire is heaven. Now, this experience, this conversation that Jesus is having with the rich young man is, in my experience, one of the most common conversations that I have with Catholics as a priest. It sounds a little different. It happens in the confessional. A person comes in and they say, 
Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It has been nine months since Lent or so, since my last confession. And during that time, I think I've used bad language too much. Not a lot, maybe ten times. And I've judged people. And that's about all I can remember. So for these and all my sins, I'm sorry and I ask for forgiveness. Usually when someone makes a confession like that, I usually try to be kind and say something like, well, I'm glad you came to confession. Do you think there's anything else you've done in the past nine months that you should bring to the Lord? And usually there's this awkward silence where they have to sort of come up with some answer for me, something that I'm going to accept so they can go but something that's not really a a real confession, or at least not something that would have brought them guilt when they came to the confessional. So they say something like, well, Father, since you're putting me on the spot, you know those little candy bars that they have in the grocery store? I can't help but to buy one of those candy bars when I go shopping, and that's probably gluttony. I I shouldn't do that, right? I mean, I haven't done anything really bad, you know. I haven't done the big sins. None of the Ten Commandments. It's usually what they say. You can almost hear the rich young man. Teacher, all of these commandments I've observed from my youth. It's the same phrase. You know, sometimes when people tell me that, I want to say, well, how many murders do you think that sweet old lady in front of you had committed this afternoon that she had to confess to me, right? What's going on here? Why is this person coming to confession? They're there because they want to be good, right? All of you are here because you want to be good. You want to be holy, right? Otherwise, people wouldn't go to confession. I would just sit in the confessional and read a book, you know. But when it comes down to it, if I ask them to tell me that after nine months, it would be understandable that they have something more to confess than a candy bar in a grocery store usually they're going to become frustrated. Their face is going to fall, and they're going to go away sad because they have much that they do not want to give up. What are we unwilling to give up? Now, most of us who come to Mass on Sunday aren't going to confession with murder, right? But that doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we're holy, not yet. Now, you and me, we enjoy putting down our crew workers at work behind their back. We aren't ready to give a few minutes of our personal time at home to start to pray. We like to go to those websites late at night. We don't regret that we're dishonest with our money or with our taxes, right? We don't regret that, and and you can fill in the blank. There could be whatever else is in your life. Listen to what Christ tells the disciples later on. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And St. Mark tells us the disciples were astonished at this, and and we should be too, especially in today's world when people die, we're so quick to, to canonize them and to say that, oh, they were holy, they were wonderful people. Dear brothers and sisters, how hard it is 
to enter the kingdom of God. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. Think about that. The, the Protestant idea that we can simply accept Jesus into our hearts and be saved, it doesn't work. It doesn't at all. How hard it is to enter the kingdom of God, says the Lord. Maybe you're thinking the same thing the apostles were thinking. Well, if that's the case, who can be saved? And our Lord says, for human beings it is impossible, but not for God. All things are possible for God. And that's probably the most important line in the gospel today. But it's, so, it's, a, it's a line that so many people abuse, right? People hear this line that everything's possible for God, and they think that Jesus just, is just telling us, well, because life is hard, don't worry, God's going to make everything okay for you. Well, I mean, that can't be what he's saying, because if that's the case, what's the point of the rest of the gospel? And why did he have this whole conversation with the rich young man? No, Christ is telling us, encouraging us, that if we really are seeking holiness, if we are deliberately making efforts to overcome sin, to grow in virtue, to love God, if we're really trying, okay, not just pretending, but if we're, we're making efforts to do this, then, even despite the fact that all of us are weak, all of us make mistakes, God is going to assist us with his grace. Because we are all too weak to do it by ourselves, but if we beg the grace from God, he will help us. And that takes us back to Solomon, right? Solomon is begging God for this grace. And because he begged God for it, it was given to him. What are we really asking God to do for us, right? What did the rich young man want to hear from Jesus? Did he want Jesus to say, well, you just need to go to church on Sunday? Did he want to hear him say, well, you just need to be nice to strangers? Or you should really call your mother every now and then on the phone because she misses you, right? All of those are good things, but that's not going to get you to heaven, right, in itself, God doesn't want one hour of your week coming to church, right? He wants your life. He wants you. He wants everything about you. Everything. And so he promises us in the gospel, Amen, I say to you, there is no one who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake, And for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more now in the present age with persecutions and with eternal life in the age to come. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Amen.